we're studying right through the Gospel of John by God's grace. I mean by that, you know, none of us can count on any single day. It is granted. Take it for granted. Granted by God. It's a gift from God himself. And uh, we have this privilege and honor and responsibility uh, to use the gifts he has given us to improve on them and to use them for his glory. Today's message is on John. and You can see the reference there. We're covering several verses, which is always a big challenge. This is our, what is it, our fourth or fifth message in John 5. And we could easily be a lot longer here, but we're uh, trying to cover the book in a way. So uh, today it has a simple outline. I'm going to do an introduction, kind of dealing with the first few verses, and then there's four, four witnesses that we'll see, uh, the witness of John, the witness of the, the Father, the works, and the Word. I may have inverted a couple of those. We'll, get, we'll straighten that out in a minute. And then we'll have a conclusion. So an introduction, four points, and a conclusion. If you fall asleep, you'll be able to see it on the board. Oh, okay, we're there. <laughs> Excuse me a second. Uh, so, again, this chapter, uh, the bigger context of this chapter is this phenomenal, rip-roaring healing at the pool of Bethesda. This, the, Jesus does these works that are just, if, if you and I saw it, our eyes would pop out. You know, it's unbelievably wonderful. Uh, he w- strides in. There's a guy who's been disabled for 38 years. You know, his muscles are all twisted up and atrophied, and he, it's so bad that he, he can't drag himself into the pool quick enough. Uh, for 38 years, he's sick, and Jesus gives him three staccato commands, which is get up, take up your bed, and walk. Those three things he says to him. And the man does. See verse 8. Get up. Take up your bed and walk. The, the word of Jesus strengthens him to be able to, to obey the word of Jesus. It, it brings strength and power into him to be able to obey. There's no other way he could obey. And that's just like salvation itself. This is the Bible teaches us very clearly we're dead in our trespasses and sins. And then the, the Spirit speaks to us. It rebirths us. We're born again by the power of the Spirit. And then we can respond, and then we can believe, and then we can obey the gospel. So that's the big context. Stunning power of Jesus and the rejection of the Pharisees. The Pharisees... Um, the Jew- Jewish leaders, the religious leaders, they were, were rejecting Jesus, uh, and he's responding to them. They were mad at him because, well, you did this on the Sabbath. You know, you shouldn't heal him on the Sabbath. It's, to me, it sounds kind of stupid. Um, and it did to Jesus, too, uh, really. He says, well, uh, he gets in big trouble by answering them. He says in verse uh, 17, my father is working until now, and I am working. Uh, yes, he worked on the Sabbath. God can't stop 
sustaining all of reality. He holds it all together. The Bible teaches us that specifically about Jesus Christ. In him, all things consist. He is this, the energy that holds every single atom, every proton, electron, neutron. That is his energy. And it's not passive. He's actively involved with all of it. The universe is subjective to God, objective to us. But it depends on him completely. So my father is working until now, and I am working. And that got him into big trouble because, see verse 18, it says, this was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father and making himself equal with God. So Jesus is directly, and this is early in his ministry, uh, he had an uh, earthly ministry about two and a half to three years, and this is within the first few months. This is not something that developed that like later on he goes, oh, hey, I could claim to be God. Uh, no, right from the beginning he knew exactly who he was, and yes, he is claiming equality with God, and they are out to kill him for that. But it turns out it's not Jesus who is on trial, but they are on trial. And here is the text for today, John 5, verse 30 and following. I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own, but my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not deemed true. There is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John, for the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard. His form you have never seen. And you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. 
if another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? This is the word of God. God, add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let me open it with prayer. Father, please, in this time, speak to us. We're uh, meditating on a, a larger paragraph of the speech of Jesus. Uh, we pray, Father, that your spirit would teach us each. You have brought each and every single individual here today by your sovereign grace. You've composed this group, and uh, it's for your glory this time. Father, you've brought us here, and would you please give us ears to hear what you are saying to each and every one of us. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So again, an introduction, four witnesses, and a conclusion. So first of all, this not alone the first few verses here, verse 30, I'll read it again. I can do nothing on my own. This is Jesus speaking. He said, I'm not a, I'm not a lone pilot out here. I, I don't depend just on me. I can do nothing on my own. I'm completely submitted to the Father. This is a very big theme in the book of John, that Jesus wasn't an independent actor. He was obeying his Father. He did what the Father had already laid out for him, what he had assigned to him. I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Almost as an, an aside to the main thrust of this text, but uh, what a glorious testimony that is for you and I. Follow Jesus' example. Could we say, I Seek not my own will. I'm not doing this for my benefit, for my good pleasure. This isn't my desire. I'm doing this because it is the will of him who sent me. That should be our striving goal, to be like Jesus in this way. To ask ourselves that question, is this the will of God? It's a very simple question, but boy, it can be very clarifying. <laughs> can we be honest with ourselves? and say, is this the will of God? Does God want me to do this? Has he asked me to do this? Or am I doing this for my own purposes? Am I looking out for me? Well, Jesus didn't look out for himself. One of the great verses of the Bible, he, here's Jesus, the Lord of the universe, who deserves nothing but uh, worship. That's what he deserves. And what did he say? He, he didn't come to be served but he came to serve. He came as a servant. He came obediently. 
And that should be our role in life, honestly, while we're here on the earth. You know, heaven's a long, long time. It's the future. It's going to be awesome. But here and now, a lot of our lives are, we're here to serve. Why am I here? I'm here to, not to be served, but to serve. To take what God has given me and utilize it for his glory. Then he'll say, what will he say? Well done, my good and faithful servant. And Jesus would hear that. I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Jesus is is not alone. God does not leave himself without a witness. Jesus is that witness. That's from a a little verse in in Acts. Uh, We don't have time. It's an awesome context. I won't take the time to do it, but Acts 14, 17. Um, This is Acts 14, 17. Yet he did not leave himself without witness. God doesn't leave himself without witness. And in this, in this context, in, in Acts 14, he's talking to, to people who don't have a Bible, to people who are way far away from, from the gospel. He did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. That's Acts 14, 17. God doesn't leave us without witness. In other words, the person who goes through life and says, I would have believed in God, but he was never there. He kept hiding himself. If God wanted me to know about him, why did he hide himself? I think that's a, that's a quote from some very, very famous um, atheist. And the Bible says he hasn't hidden himself. He's all over. You, you are immersed. You're swimming in revelation. You're in the hot tub of God's good grace. Uh, open your eyes. Appreciate what you have. He satisfies your hearts with food and gladness. And Jesus is this, this revelation. He says, if I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not deemed true. There is another who bears witness about me. I know that the testimony that he bears is true. We're getting into John there, but Jesus came in power. We just said that he did this amazing, beautiful miracle. The context of this, oh, I've been working in Second Peter chapter 1, I mentioned, and it's so great to take a section of Scripture and just meditate on it. You just read it over and over and over again and start to memorize it. I can't recommend anything higher to just raise your uh, consciousness of who God is. And I love Second Peter chapter 1. Uh, this is, let's see. I'm looking at, oh yeah, here it is. I, I, mean, I quoted this last week. Verse 16, 2 Peter chapter 1. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. So Peter is saying that. Peter didn't write John, but he's right with John. He's, you know, they're associates. We made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We were witnesses of his majesty. And this is this great witness of who Jesus was. He came in power but he was not alone. He did nothing on his own. 
He submitted to the will of the Father, and we also must seek unity in truth. Why should Christians work really hard at being undivided? It's because the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, are undivided. They are unit, a unit of truth, a unit of relationship. They're one, and we are called to be one just like they are. And Jesus is an example of this. I'm not a lone actor. I'm together. I work hard at staying submitted to the Father. Not alone. Okay, so here's the four witnesses. John. John bore witness. Interesting how this is a theme in the book of John. Remember, just to be confusing, this is not the John who wrote the book, right? This is the other John, uh, John the Baptist. Um, But John... The author of the book keeps bringing John the Baptist into the foreground. Let me read the text again, verse 32. There is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Remember that when we studied that a few weeks ago, months ago? The Pharisees sent out a little posse to John the Baptist. Who are you? Are you the Christ? Are you the prophet? Are you this or that? And he said, no, I am not the Christ. There is one coming after me who is the Christ, who deserves all of our worship and our praise and our service. He has borne witness to the truth. Verse 34, not that the testimony that I receive is from man. He says, I'm not really dependent on this. But this testimony was given. And this testimony is given from man. Yes, human beings wrote the Bible. They were eyewitnesses of these things, like Peter. We were eyewitnesses of his majesty. You and I, you know, more than likely, honestly, I don't want to disappoint you, but you're probably going to go through your entire life without seeing a healing like the guy saw at the pool of Bethesda. I, don't, I hope I'm not getting out into you know, thin ice and you know, maybe God will let that ice break and we'll see some healings like that, right? But we probably won't. We just probably won't. I worked for a long time in a spinal cord injury unit. Uh, uh, one of my dearest friends there was a, a quad, a ventilator-dependent quad. He couldn't breathe on his own. He had a very high, like, C1 fracture. You know, I mean, he never moved his hands, feet, couldn't breathe on his own. He was at Valley Med for like 10 years. I got to baptize him, okay? This is when I didn't believe in immersion. <laughs> you can't immerse a ventilator-dependent quad. <laughs> I baptize you now, and you're going to heaven right now because you're dead. <laughs> I, I became a Presbyterian for the day, and uh, <laughs> God forgive me. <laughs> no, no, I don't, I'm really not that... Uh, that dogmatic about the the mode of baptism in that case. Um, Anyway, John Lindsay. His entire life he had attended a Pentecostal church in in town in San Jose called the Cathedral of Faith. The pastor there was Kenny Foreman. Anybody ever heard of these names? Okay, good. I can say anything I want then. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. you used to live over there. (laughs) Anyway, Kenny Foreman came in a few times to the hospital and, and healed John. You are healed! <laughs> and John's gone. Not healed. Never healed. And so, the, the, honestly, this was a false prophecy. He wasn't healed. 
Uh, no. And John got to resent it. He would say, hey, come on. Maybe God doesn't want me to be healed. And it's okay. Can I live as a broken body for the Lord Jesus? Uh, and, of course, the answer is yes. So you and I may never, ever see this kind of healing. But what we have is the witness of those who did. And John is an example of that. John the author, John the Baptist, Peter, the three that I've mentioned so far today. John bore witness. Believing the testimony brings an iPhone. <laughs> brings what? Salvation. Here's the testimony. We're, we're in court, by the way. And here's the first witness. He's come to the stand and said, these things really happened. Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Savior. He came in power, <laughs> great power. And see verse 34? It's right there. But I say these things so that you may be saved. If we believe their testimony, we can be saved. Oh, saved from what? Saved from our own condemnation, which we deserve. We're condemned already. That's in John chapter 3. We need to be delivered. We need alteration. We need intervention. Uh, so John bore witness in believing his testimony brings salvation. The witness is like a shining lamp. Look at this. This is, this is really important and very applicable to your own life. Verse 35. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his sight. That's interesting because, see down in verse 40, ESV says, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. And the actual, probably New American Standard has a more literal translation. It's because it's you are not willing to come to me. You refused. So he was, he was a bright and shining light and you were willing to rejoice for a while in that light. Now, Jesus told the story of the parable, right, of the, the sower. And remember, some of the seed fell on ground, and the, it sprouted up, and there was big growth. Of it, you know, everybody was happy. They rejoiced for a while, but it didn't have any root. It wasn't real. And it, this is why I said it's so applicable to your life. A shining light, a burning lamp. And I, I'm working Second Peter chapter 1 again. Uh, toward the end of that chapter... It's, this is so awesome to me. This is verse 19. He says, And we have something more sure, the prophetic word, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place. Now unwrap that a little bit in your mind. He's talking about the Old Testament uh, here. And he's saying that it is the word of God, and it's like a lamp shining in a dark place. So the word of God is the contrast. When the truth of the word of God goes out, it goes out into a, a foreign, and it goes out into a um, competitive environment. It's the light, and everything else is darkness. We don't go out and say, yeah, there's a lot of light out here, and we have another light you might consider. You know, take a look at our light. We appreciate your light, but come and look at our light. 
that's not a biblical point of view. The Bible says the word of God is like a light shining in what? A light shining in what? How about somebody from the sleeping porch? <laughs> a light shining in what? Darkness. You guys look a little dark over there, but the, the lights are on, right? <laughs> you understand how applicable that is? If you and I have a, have a wonderful, ruthless commitment to the, the Word of God, you believe the minority report. You believe the two spies out of 12. Uh, you believe something that a lot of people think is ridiculous. We are the, the contrast in this world. And yes, the Word of God is like a bright light shining in the darkness. Okay, that's witness one. John bore witness. Secondly, the works of Jesus bore witness. And I already opened this up, so I don't need to talk about it too much. It's right here in verse 36. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. John had good preaching. Repent. Uh, the kingdom of God is coming. Prepare the way of the Lord. But John didn't do miracles. Verse 36, for the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. John picks out these sign miracles, and the first one was the water to wine. The, uh, again, the, the scope, the reality of these miracles is mind-boggling. It's unbelievable power. To take, you know, I think it was six earth, earthen pots of water, something like 120 to 150 gallons of water, and turn it into wine without, you know, again, it's emphasizing the, that the work of God is, it, it transcends time. It's like the, the paralytic guy. It takes years to rehab if you were healed. It, it, your muscles don't come back in two seconds, but they did for him. You know, in one second, you'd say the guy is hopeless. The next second, he's ready to run the marathon. How did that happen? That takes power. <laughs> that takes power. And in one second, this is H2O. And the next second, it's the best wine ever made. Don't you wish you had a cup of it? <laughs> it would have been something. Perhaps we'll have something better, I think, at the marriage Supper of the Lamb. But what Jesus is saying is this is the power of God, the works that I'm doing. But notice real quickly, I don't want to spend forever on this, uh, although I'm tempted to. The, notice the very thing, first thing he says right there. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish. The Heavenly Father actually assigned him. This was the plan. When he strides into Bethesda, with its five porches, he has a specific plan. The, the Lord, the Father, had assigned him to heal that one guy. That was his assignment. Uh, and this is, um, this is an important thing, this word accomplish. John loves this word, and so should we. Uh, the gr Greek uh, root is telos, telos, which means goal, or the the end to which this entire drama is going, okay? 
And John, I'm, I'm going to get to the exciting part, you know, because John will tell us what will Jesus say from the cross. It is, it is finished. This is the same root word, to telestai. It is accomplished. It has reached the goal that was predetermined. The whole reason I'm here. And please notice also uh, in, let's see, I'll figure it out here. Yeah, John 4, 34. Uh, we'll try to emphasize these as we go through the book of John. But John 4, 34. Jesus, uh, remember his disciples were saying, hey, you know, come on, we're going to go to Subway here. You can have a half a sandwich. I mean, it's a six-inch sub. It's special today, Jesus. And Jesus says, no, 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 I've got something more important, right? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. That's the same root, telos. To bring to completion exactly what the Father has planned for me to do. Jesus accomplishes the task. And that's what he says. These works that I'm doing are those that are assigned to me. I, I'm, not, I'm not just deciding, you know, boom, boom. I think, well, I think I'll do that today. He's doing what the Father has planned for him to do. He's obeying the Father they are what the Father gave him to do. They are spectacular signs of God's power and glory, as I've already said. That's witness too. So here we're in the courtroom. Jesus brings in witness John, representing humanity. Human beings who experienced amazing things and told us the truth about them. Will you believe their testimony? Second is the works that Jesus did. Uh, you and I don't get to see those works, so one and two kind of blend, don't they? In other words, we depend on the eyewitnesses and their truth-telling to believe the miracles that Jesus did. There was an interesting, very interesting author and a Christian writer named G.K. Chesterton of a previous generation, and I love one of his jokes because that was in the early phase of liberalism. And he said, well, I don't get these liberals because instead of adding miracles like you would expect a liberal to do, they want to take them away. They don't seem liberal at all. <laughs> they seem narrow and small and closed. Well, I declare to you that I am a liberal, okay? I believe them all. I believe them all, and you should too. This is the word of God. This is true. We don't go in and try to re-examine the myth. No, forget that. If you had a pastor trying to explain to you the myth of the Bible, I give you full permission to leave that church <laughs> and, and come to a church that does not teach that way. No, they are spectacular signs of God's power. Who is God? I mean, do you really want a God who pretends to feed 5,000 people because they all hid a lunch in their pocket and tells a big lie about how it happened? No, you know, forget it. We don't want that kind of God. I want a God who speaks and makes it happen because that's the God of the Bible, the only true God. So that's the witness number two, the works of Jesus bear witness. And, and next, he, he very briefly doesn't have much in the text about it. 
But verse 37 is interesting. It says, And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. And how does that work? Well, we think this is, I'm going to say two things. Uh, one is at the baptism and uh, two other times, Jesus was actually spoken to from heaven in, in human language. Uh, here's um, a couple of examples of it. Interestingly, though, John doesn't record these. John records one later on, which we'll get to. But uh, here's Matthew 3.17. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, whom I am well pleased, with whom I am well pleased. And then later, Matthew 17, verse 5, another occurrence, and this is on the Mount of Transfiguration. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. The boys and I uh, rented the movie Noah uh, out of Redbox this, this weekend. And, you know, it's like two thumbs down, okay? <laughs> I like Russell Crowe as an actor, but that is one pitiful movie. <laughs> it's really bad. From a biblical point of view, it's like hopeless, okay? But, but one of the things that irritated me the most uh, through it is uh, that they act like the revelation of God is just this sort of ill-interpreted vision that Noah receives, like he's underwater, things are floating up, things are going by, he, he, just, he doesn't know what it means, you know, just sort of guessing at what it means. And that is, that is not what the Bible says. The Bible says God spoke to him. The, God reveals himself in language, in propositional revelation. He knew specifically what to do. God even told him how big to make the ark. You know, and at the end, they go through that too. It's like uh, he doesn't really get any revelation at the end. He sort of muffs around and does some, you know, junk. Um, <clears throat> and at the end, God gives him really the, uh, the Noahic covenant, very specific language of revelation. And so God has spoken. He himself has spoken. He reveals himself in language but also, again, real quickly, he brings direct internal witness as well. God the Father does. And John actually speaks more to this in his um, book uh, of 1 John. Look, look with me real quick. 1 John chapter 5. Uh, this is not the only witness, but it is a part of our witness, and that is that God... Gives us and the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. That's in the book of Romans. And here's 1 John chapter 5. Uh, and I love this passage of scripture. Uh, 1 John 5, 9 through 12. He says, if, if we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he has borne concerning his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. That, that seems to be saying there's an internal witness. And, and notice, uh, you'll see this pattern in Scripture. Uh, Jesus will say, 
He said it in our passage today. You're not getting this. You don't love the Father because you don't believe. There's a, you come in faith, and then you will hear, and then it will be revealed to you. And the faith, of course, is a gift from God, too. Uh, but this verse is saying that, that there's a testimony within us for whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. This is so crucial. I, I told you you'll hear this almost as repetitively as the ringing of an iPhone uh, in the book of John. <laughs> um, here's the deal. Our whole, there's this thing called spirituality in the United States of America. People, I'm a spiritual person, right? I'm, I'm not a Christian, but I'm a spiritual person. And somehow I have a closeness with a goddess of my own making, right? Does this sound familiar? This is, this is what makes Santa Cruz run, you know? <laughs> It's incredible irony. That city over there is named Holy Cross, <laughs> Santa Cruz, the, the city of the cross of Christ, and by and large, they are pretty goofy over there. Not that Monterey is much better, right? <laughs> anyway, um, what, what am I saying? I'm saying that um, these people who are, well, I'm spiritual, I love God, but I'm just not into the this specific, exclusive thing you have about Jesus. Well, you know, unfortunately for them, I think the Bible's true, and it says over and over again, you can't split the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You can't have God without Jesus. That's just impossible, because you're telling God he's a liar, and he doesn't like that. <laughs> He says, you've made him a liar because he said, you needed my son to die for your sins, Nathan. That's the only way you could be saved from your wretchedness, Nathan. And I, I, I say, yes, I know that. If I don't say that, I, if I say I don't need Jesus, I just want God, the God of my making or the goddess or goddesses, uh, then I'm saying God is a liar. Uh, whoever, do, whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. We're in the courtroom. The witnesses come. John, the works of Jesus. God the Father testifies. Three testimonies that God has borne concerning his Son. Listen to verses 11 and 12. I've, I've read these verses. I've, I used to do a lot of uh, funerals for unsaved people when I was a chaplain. I used to do it a lot. And I always read this uh, with, without a lot of preaching or explanation, but I always read this. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. That's the testimony. It's that clear. 
So we don't want to fudge around. We don't want to equivocate about these issues. This is life and death. This is you know, good, wholesome oatmeal or oatmeal laced with rat poison. I'm, I, I'm not going to be tolerant while you eat the rat poison, okay? I can't tolerate that. It's, it's intolerable. It's wrong. It, it's, it's, it's dark and light. The father directly bore witness. And then finally, the fourth witness, the scripture bears witness. The scripture bore witness. And there's a ton in here. This is the rest of the text, and I acknowledge that uh, the time is getting a little short, so I'll, I'll go through it a little bit quickly. Let me read the holy text again, um, and um, we'll make the points uh, succinctly about this. Um, the Father who sent me has borne witness about me. His voice you never heard. His form you have never seen. And you do not have his word abiding in you, for, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. So if you reject Jesus Christ, you don't have the word of God. You may have language from the scripture, but you don't have the word of God. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another? and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God. Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. That, that Jesus isn't going to stand up and say, I accuse this person. He says, there is one who accuses you, Moses. He's the author of the first five books of the Old Testament that these Jews were totally depending on, on whom you have set your hope. But if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. And if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? So real quickly, there's a lot here. Uh, perhaps we'll come back to it, but I just want to summarize it. Um, they were scripture experts, but did not know Jesus. You, know, you, can, go to, you can go to Stanford University and, and major in religious studies. You can become an expert on the text of scripture and not know Jesus. And that's exactly who these people were. All the word of God points to Jesus. As, as we understand it through the Holy Spirit, all of it, the, the, the sacrifice system of the Old Testament, all points to Jesus. It's all about him. They do not have the love of God within them. This is that same point I was just making about spiritual people. Well, I love, I love the goddess. I love God. And Jesus says, you don't. You don't love God. You don't even have the love of God within you because you're rejecting his gift of Jesus Christ. The scriptures bear witness to this. They are ripe for deception. People who reject the scripture, who don't know the Bible, who think, oh, it's too complex and too crazy. They're ripe for deception. They're, we are, we're born to be spiritual people. It's a part of our nature. And if we reject the truth, what is false will fill in uh, to it. And, and that's what he exactly has said to them. Um, 
it says, uh, where is it now? The one where it says, there it is, verse 43. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. They're ripe for deception. And then they're satisfied with human approval. They're happy. They're in the academy. They're all self-congratulatory uh, and patting each other on the back. I've been reading an interesting, I'm reading this very slowly, which is a typical way I read, a, a life story of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Highly recommend it. Uh, interesting, interesting uh, biography. And he's, this is commenting on his second postdoctoral thesis. He was a brilliant student. And uh, here's a little, it's called, the title of it was Act and Being. Uh, in Act and Being, he used philosophical language to show that theology is not merely another branch of philosophy, but something else entirely. For him, philosophy was man's search for truth apart from God. It was a type of Bart's religion in which man himself tried to reach heaven or truth or God. But theology begins and ends with faith in Christ, who reveals himself to man. Apart from such revelation, there could be no such thing as truth. Thus, the philosopher and the theologian who operates on a philosopher's assumptions chases his own tail and gazes at his own navel. <laughs> he cannot break out of the cycle, but God, via revelation, can break in. And that's exactly where these... Um, Pharisees were. They were in this cycle, rejecting God's revelation, trying to create it themselves. They were uh, satisfied with their own human approval. But the writings of Moses will be their judge. The word of God is true. The word is available uh, to everyone you know, that we know. There's places in the world where there are no Bibles, but in, in the sound of my voice, you have a Bible available to you. This goes out on cable television, too. So you, you cable television audience, you have a Bible available to you. By the way, you're responsible for knowing what's in it. God wrote it. it it's the revelation of God. Get it, read it, know it. The Scripture is given so that we can understand who God really is. So now, finally, here's my summary. The summary observations. The big point of this sermon, of course, is Believe in Jesus. <laughs> Believe all the witnesses. That's the huge point. You're in court now. And Jesus has brought these witnesses. He's brought John. He's brought his works. He's brought the Father. And he's brought the scriptures themselves. All four of these witnesses say that Jesus is the Savior. He's worth our total commitment. He's worth our, our absolute love and worship and honor. He's worth our whole lives. He wants you to come to him. He's revealed himself to you. Uh, but look what it says. But you refuse to come to me that you may have life. And here's the rest of my summary observations. Like John, our witness will be like a light in the dark. Our works, like Jesus's, should be 
uh, examples of God's power and bring people to God. As those who are God's children, we should have an inner confidence. If you have no inner confidence uh, in God, if the Holy Spirit doesn't bear witness in your heart that you are the child of God, I encourage you to turn to Christ in faith. Uh, come to the scripture and inform yourself about the truth and come to know Jesus. And then finally, we ought to continue to know and trust the scripture. We ought to continue to know and trust the scripture. Some of you have been Christians for a very, very long time. And honestly, did you even know that John 5 existed? Why is it that some of this teaching seems so weird and strange? Because a lot of Christians are just biblically illiterate. They really are. You know, I advise fathers to get the Bible out and read it to your children. We, we still do this at home, even with our adult kids. We, we pass the Bible around, everybody reads. You know, there's, there's value in that. Because, listen, honestly, God expects you to know the Bible. He expects you to be able to read. Wherever Christianity's gone, literacy has gone. Because we're people of the book. And I, I find it so strange. I found this in my own Christian life as a pastor. You meet a, meet a person who's been, been saved for like you know, forever, they've been a part of a church forever, this church forever, but the Bible's unfamiliar with them. You ask them to read a verse and they can't hardly read. And you say, well, pastor, maybe they, you know, they just aren't comfortable reading. Why aren't they? God's given us the scripture as a witness to who he is. He teaches us. And, you know, year after, let's put it this way, day after day, week after week, month after month, Year after year, we ignore the Bible. We don't read it to our family. We don't read it publicly. And it, it's a shame. We're acting like that witness is not that important. And it's a shame. And I say, we ought to continue to know and trust the scriptures. Let's pray. Father, thank you for witnessing to us for giving us this great truth that he who has the Son has life. We thank you for life. It's good. It's wonderful. And I thank you that in Jesus, life is not temporary or fragile. It's eternal and glorious and full. Lord, the rest of that verse, though, is so sobering. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Oh, Father, if there are those here within the sound of my voice who do not have the Son of God, would you please open their hearts, oh, Lord. Call them to yourself. And if you're in that condition, call out to the Lord. In your heart, just pray, Lord, please save me. Please save me.